Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on iWorkFram, click on the iWorkFram Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the iWorkFram Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's iWorkForHim.com, iWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned in the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Hey, have you joined the I Work For Him Nation yet? Have you decided and made that commitment to start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day? Have you decided in your heart that you are really willing to be a servant to those that you work with, to look for ways to befriend those that may not be so friendly and do so outside of the workplace? Have you decided to be that person in your workplace that looks for people who need prayer? People that are down today, that maybe yesterday they weren't down, and you notice a change in their spirit, and going up to them and say, hey, can I pray? Is there something I can pray with you about? What's going on? Hey, can I pray with you right now? That's the most powerful thing you can do in the workplace as you open up doors. But all along, we ask that members of the I Work For Him Nation be committed to be people of excellence in the workplace, doing the best job they can in their position to be somebody that's a light in their workplace by just the very, the, the essence of the job that they do each and every day. Go out to iWorkForHim.com, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag, and join the nation. Every day we're getting new people. In fact, today we had calls in, actually emails in, from a couple of ladies in Marietta, Georgia. They heard the show on Monday and reached out to me and said, Hey, Jim, can I still get a copy of Halftime? Anybody ever wants to get a copy of Halftime? I've always got extra copies. That book changed my life. All right, so go out to iWorkForHim.com and join the iWorkForHim Nation tonight. Look for the flag and click on it. You know, every once in a while, I'll do a little jaunt, a a little step out there and go, you know what, here is the amazing things that I see out there in society. And and I don't have anything specific. Politics has really got me twisted upside down. And you know this show's not about politics. But I'll tell you this, that I hear every day people that live with hopelessness that put their hope in politicians, thinking the politicians are going to be the answer to the solution of this nation. That's right, crickets. That's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to every question we're asking as a nation, but people are putting Donald and Hillary in place of them. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Stop putting your hope in politicians. They're going to let you down every time, but Jesus, he never lets you down. But that takes a paradigm shift in our minds, an absolute paradigm shift in our minds. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. That is An amazing thought, because when you look at politics, if you're going to keep doing things the way the world does, you're going to think, well, my politicians are going to solve my problems. Name one. But it goes on to say, but let God transform you into a new person. 
by changing the way you think. And boy, if I can look at the last 37 years and the work that the Lord has done in my life, and many of you that know me closely know that there's plenty of work left to do, but God has transformed me to make me look more like his son each and every day. Yes, I'm a slow study, but it's still something he's in work on, but it's been an amazing thing. So today, I really wanted to shift the topic. A lot of times I bring on ministries that are marketplace ministry focused, or I bring on people that have marketplace ministry focused testimonies, or I bring on authors that have written great books. But I heard a sermon at my church. I go to First Baptist Indian Rocks, or they call it Indian Rocks sometimes without the First Baptist on there, whatever they want to call it. I go to church most Sundays to First Baptist Indian Rocks, and our pastor, Jeff Parrish, preached a sermon on the unknowns, the little-known people of the Bible. And it was about the thief on the cross. And it was so amazing, the words between the thief on the cross, the one that actually said, hey, stop giving this guy a hard time. He didn't do anything wrong. We actually did something wrong. We deserve what we're getting. Jeff Parrish did a sermon on this, and I said, wow, that's a sermon everybody needs to hear because in the workplace, it applies so much. But yesterday, Jeff Parrish's oldest daughter had Jeff's first grandchild. And so Jeff bails on me, goes into Raleigh, North Carolina, and I said, why can't you do this show from the hospital? And they said, no, we don't want to do that. But my very good friend, Scott Harris, who's a pastor on staff at Indian Rock, said, hey, I'll pinch it. Scott Harris, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. I hope you really think that at the end of the show, that you're really still thanking me for having you on oh, this yeah. show. Oh, yeah. Listen, we've, we, we've, uh, we've, we've done ministry for a long time together, so... So, uh, and I'm still here, brother. That's good. <laughs> That's good. I'm not sure what that means. All right. So talk to me about, I always ask every guest, how was Jesus Christ making a difference in your life today? So start off with the answer to that question, Scott Harris. Um, Jesus uh, constantly reminds me um, of the gospel, which the gospel, of course, tells me that, um, that in and of myself, I am absolutely depraved. In and of myself, I, I desperately need him. Um, the gospel reminds me that... Um, um, uh, just as Jesus and just as God looks at people differently than I am to look at others differently. So the more I'm plugged into Christ, the more I'm in his word, the more I'm um, surrounding myself with, with other Christ followers, the more it helps me to see myself for who I really am and then to see others for who they really are. So, so when I stumble and fall, um, I'm reminded of, of, of Christ's forgiveness for me. Um, so even today, um, even today, I, I, this morning, I snapped at my kids and just was reminded of, um, of how Christ has forgiven even that. And so when I went to my kids and asked them to forgive me um, for, for maybe how I had uh, spoken to them, um, uh, I said, hey, hey, guys, Jesus forgives me. Will you forgive your daddy? And, and it was just, uh, just evidencing Christ-likeness to them. So, so Jesus constantly reminds me of that. That's one of the most powerful things you can do for your kids. Mm-hmm. Actually, admit when you're wrong. And ask their forgiveness. Yeah, which is often at my house. (laughs) As it was in mine. But my kids are grown and gone now, so eh, I don't have to do it as often. I have to do it over the phone now. Scott, you're a a husband. You're a father of 10-year-old twins. You've been a pastor for over a decade now, right? Yeah, yeah, almost 12 years. 12, 12 years, and you've lived to tell about it. Talk to me about, as a father and a husband, what's your biggest struggle in your walk with the Lord having to do with being a husband and a father? 
I think this, the biggest struggle for me, and is probably this, the biggest struggle for for everyone. Uh, I, I think first of all, there there is a misnomer out there that uh, pastors or folks in full time ministry are perfect and have no issues. There's nobody listening that thinks that they all know better. Yeah, I, I would hope they all know better, and so we are just as susceptible to uh, to struggle as the next guy. Um, uh, for but, me, but why? I'm going to stop you there for a second. But why is it pastors have such a hard time living that transparently in front of others so they can learn? Well, I think that culture is shifting. I think you go back 25, 30 years ago, and there was an expectation that as a pastor, you have to have it all together. Um, You have to have a facade. Your kids have to be perfect. Your wife has to be involved in 37 ministries at your church. Um, However, um, in survey after survey after survey today, especially in the millennials, um, as they are surveyed, one of the one of the primary attributes they're looking for in the leaders that they follow, especially their church leaders, is transparency and authenticity. And that's why I think so many of the of the the younger guys that you see uh, preaching, you know, the the Pipers and the Chandlers and the JD Greers and um, these I'm sure guys Mr. are. P- John Piper would think he would be grateful that you said he he's, was young. he's a younger dude. Yeah, he he preaches to a younger audience, okay. but that's why a lot of these guys. Um, I think they're so appealing is because they're so transparent. They're so authentic. Authentic. They're 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 willing to kind of uh, lay their life out before their people. Um, we we have an event at our church um, um, called Dinner with a Pastor, and it's really uh, just an event where we invite new people uh, to come enjoy a dinner. And really, it's it's uh, the primary purpose for it is so our senior pastor Jeff Parrish, so he can really tell his story, um, tell his own story of how. Um, how he struggled early on um, in church, in church life, and how he came to know Christ, how he came, um, how he ended up in ministry, and and so I really think people are looking for that transparency and authenticity. Um, so, so how do you demonstrate that to your within your own household? Uh, well, this morning being one of those examples, I mean, understanding that um, as I uh, as I get a better handle on the gospel, um, uh, one of my favorite texts in the Bible is Isaiah six. Um, Isaiah uh, is is given this unique opportunity to see a, a vision of, of of God in the year that King Uzziah died. It says in verse one, "I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and exalted." And then there's there's some heavenly uh, beings flying around and they're chanting, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." Um, and in and when Isaiah sees that glimpse of 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 God, it's a reflection upon who He is, and He says, "Woe is me." And so it just really keeps this 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 perspective in place. And then as as Isaiah sees himself for who he is, he repents. Um, I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And uh, and then of course his sin is forgiven, his iniquity is taken away, and that's when the Lord calls him into ministry. So the closer I stay to the gospel, the more I stay in God's word, the um, the more I sit under His preaching, the more I um, I invite men into my life, like like you and I have enjoyed the relationship over the years. I invite men into my life, and I give access to um, to, to really uh, call me out if necessary. The more that I do that, um, the, the more I'm going to be able to look at others the way I think that God looks at them. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was uh, probably as a freshman or a sophomore in Bible college, one of our professors said, um, today you're going to go home, and you you potentially will, will will stop at a street corner and there'll be somebody standing on that corner that, that has a will work for food sign or a homeless need help sign or something like that. And he challenged us and said, um, what are you actually going to see? Are you going to see a lazy person that needs to get a job or will you see a potential worshiper of the King of Kings? And so um, the closer I stay to the gospel, the more that I not only see myself for who I am, but 
but I begin to see others. And I can extend the same grace that God extends to me through Christ. I, I can extend that um, to others. So when I stumble and fall, I'm quick to to ask forgiveness. Well, and that's that's a huge attribute. And especially as we're talking with people here in the workplace, not, you know, what I have learned is that not every pastor understands what you just described, but there are, but being a pastor is a tough job. And I mean, most people don't, do not understand having hundreds of bosses. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, sure, I mean a sure. pastor of a church, a senior pastor of a church has, everybody is his boss. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, and, and you're one of the associate pastors. So you've got, you preach every Sunday at the eight o'clock service and you've got people coming there every week. They all think you're, you're that you work for them and that you. They're your boss, uh, but they—that's what they love about you. They love you that they love that transparency that you walk. You walk among them, yeah. A, as somebody that hey, you stumble, fall, you get back up, and and glorify the Lord in it. Talk to me about your life before pastorhood. So, twelve years ago, you became a pastor, but before that, you were working at Hunter Douglas. But you were already a Christ follower at that point in time. Yeah. So at twenty years old, um, I made a profession of faith as a twelve-year-old, um, and I'm not still to this day even sure if if. If a seed was planted and then it was just harvested when I was 20, or if I, um, if I really uh, was converted at 12, but from 12 to 20, my life was a train wreck. Really, um, uh, really trust Christ, and my life begins to radically change as a 20-year-old. Um, my wife and I are are plugged in at Indian Rock, so I'm serving on staff at my home church, which is not all that common. Um, but uh, really, just just working, just making a living. Um, recently married, loving. Jesus plugged in, uh, getting frustrated in the secular workplace, just in my um, specific context, and knowing that that God had something different for me. So actually driving uh, down to Sarasota way back in the day, listening to a J- David Jeremiah mm. sermon, and he's preaching on Moses. And this is at a time in my life when I'm beating myself up, trying to figure out, Lord, what would you have me to do with the rest of my life? And I'd already decided that I was going back to school. I uh, right out of high school, never gone to college. And so um, it was uh, during that sermon that he, uh, David Jeremiah just says, hey, there's some people listening, probably, that just as in Moses's life, um, God had worked for those first 80 years to the point to where he was going to call him into ministry. Um, there's probably people listening to this message today that God has so worked in your life to call you into ministry. And it was a, it was like I, I got hit on the head at that moment um, by the Lord. So one of those, one of those moments. And I knew, um, I, I didn't know any of us uh, specifics at the time, but I knew at that moment that um, that ministry in some capacity, whether that was in the church, in the parachurch, on the mission field, I wasn't sure. Uh, probably much like maybe you several years back. Um, so you didn't it, did when when God put that call in your life. Did you ever think about the fact that you could be a minister in your job at Hunter Douglas? Um, oh yeah, yeah, and and that was probably one of the difficult things for me. One of the things I struggled with at Hunter, um, I was not the kind of manager. I was a production manager. I wasn't the kind of manager that that kept people at arm's length. I mean, I was really engaged in their lives. I was I was not only their boss, but but their um, their counselor, um, marriage counselor, their personal counselor, their pastor. Their um, I, I filled a lot of of those shoes, and then. Um, being being kind of a, in middle management, I was given um, I had to carry out the responsibilities of, of the organization, and and so as as that as that organization, at least in the local context, began to move towards more towards a bottom line um, dollar value and take more less value off of people, um, it, it got increasingly difficult for me to uh, to terminate people based upon their productivity when I was viewing um, a person based upon their value as a human being. So. Mm. 
so it was a, it was a tough. Listen, I, I I can relate to people that struggle in the workplace um, uh, because I struggled in that same capacity. I still I I, I kind of kicked my way through those same struggles as well. I, there's, and there's a lot of people out there listening. They're going like, yeah, I resonate with that. That's mm-hmm. resonate with me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. Uh, so. And to just see the pastor struggled because there are jobs out there that are just plain and simple difficult, and there's some people that can embrace those jobs. I've got a guy coming on in June who's written a book who runs, who's a manager in a call center. Yeah. And uh, he's written books about how to be a Christ follower in a call center. Yeah. And you talk about a sweatshop. Yeah. I think Hunter Douglas might have been pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, a call center. I mean, they're sweatshops. Yeah. They're... And, and 15 years ago, I was, I was, I mean, I would be a fool not to think that I was a lot more spiritually immature than I am now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, could I go back today and probably view it differently? Oh, of course, of course. And so, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with my, uh, my maturity at that, at that moment. Um, but, uh, but, but looking back on it, yeah, I, I can see the struggle. Can you still get a discount on blinds? Um, uh, I, I maybe can, I maybe can. I still know some <laughs> folks in the industry, uh, the, 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 the plant that they had here locally in the Tampa Bay area, um, they, they closed that plant down and consolidated. So mm. let's get to this conversation about Jesus and the thief on the cross. Sure. So the, the context and, and you help me out. Let's, let's dig through this. You know, we had originally planned on Jeff being here. So he already done all the sermon preparation and you didn't get to do that sermon preparation. But the context is Jesus is being crucified. Mm-hmm. And as Jeff described it, crucifixion wasn't just for guys that stole a bun at the bakery. No, no. who is who is crucifixion uh, uh, reserved for? Well, uh, crucifixion just by itself is is probably, if not the most, one of the most uh, brutal of all of the torturous techniques. The Romans were the the, the known superpower of the day in the first century. Uh, they rule a landmass that's probably from modern day England to India, and the way that you rule that landmass is a massive army that inflicts uh, just aggressive punishment to keep people in line. I mean, they, they didn't have uh, ballistic missiles that could launch uh, around the world like we have today. So so they had this just gigantic army, and um, uh, and they had some pretty torturous ways to keep people in line, one of which was uh, crucifixion. Now, um, being crucified on the cross was perhaps um, um, uh, the, the most brutal, which means that it was so brutal that they would not crucify their own citizens. Roman citizens, it was a law that a Roman citizen could not be crucified. So it was it was uh, designated for non-Roman citizens, and it was designated for the most heinous of criminals. So yeah, um, um, lifelong criminals, murderers, um, 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 uh, rapists, and and just the, um, the 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 worst of the worst. Uh, All right, and so that's who Jesus is on Golgotha with. Exactly, he, he's got a, a guy on his left and a guy on his right. These were not these were not common th- uh, thieves. These were serious criminals. Yeah. And 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 one thing that's often um, that's often forgotten about, and 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 we have to make sure that we don't uh, get our picture of crucif- uh, a crucifixion. We don't get that from Hollywood. Um, so there were there were so many different aspects to the to the crucifix that were not only uh, hurtful and and really painful, but but humiliating for that person on the cross, and then for those that um, uh, that that were followers of that person or or his family members as well. Well, and it is, we get a lot of that, and honestly, the Passion of the Christ is probably the closest depiction of what really happened, and still, that's still, that's one of those movies I have never been able to get myself to watch it twice. Sure. 
I don't know. I don't know about you, but it, that's a tough one because it was so poignant and in your face. So this conversation goes on. The crowd watched, and, and I'm taking this is from Luke uh, chapter 23. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, "Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah." So the soldiers are mocking him, and they're giving him a hard time. And then it says, "One of the in verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Your, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it." I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It gets a little more color. Uh, But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the whole conversation that's recorded. Mm-hmm. You know, more than likely, John was at the cross. He wrote it down and he told Luke or somebody else was there. One of the ladies was there and, and they told Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a researcher. He, he researched this. That's all the conversation. Again, Jesus is busy trying to breathe. The, the thieves, the criminals on the cross are trying to breathe. They didn't have a lot of time for conversation. Scott, what's so significant about that conversation? Why is that such a big deal? Because that conversation debunks a whole bunch of stinking religiosity out there in the world today. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. And I'm going to try to figure out how I can use stinking religiosity in a sermon this upcoming Sunday. And you Sunday. can as but, long as I get credit. Yes, there you go. Um, uh, the reason this conversation is so important, and and, and even though it's only a few words, it is, it is packed tightly um, with theology and doctrine, uh, is because um, this thief on the cross— did not have an opportunity to do um, a lot of the things that denominations and other churches will 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 lay out before people that they must do in order to be right with God. Um, this thief did not have an opportunity to come down. Oh, off- don't give them all away at the same time. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is that a lot of people. No, no. I want people to be thinking about this. A lot of people like to add to the simplicity of the gospel. Sure, sure. A, a lot of people like to make it complicated. You know, Jesus brought. Freedom from our sins, salvation from our sins, and the opportunity for redemption and restoration. And people are like, but that's too easy. Yeah. I, I just can I can just beg for forgiveness, get forgiveness, and, and start walking with the Lord. That's too easy. We gotta add stuff to this. Wait a minute. Sure. It's just too simple. Yeah. It's just too simple. The gospel's just too simple. And that's the problem with religion. People need to understand, they've heard this on the show from me many, many times, the stinking religiosity. I don't usually use that term. I usually use, I'm sick and tired of mamby-pamby weenie butt Christians, which you can use that one too, because it's pathetic. But religion is all about money, power, and control. Mm -hmm. And the religious people hated Jesus. They killed him. Sure. Jesus was wiping out their power structure. Mm And, and that's what a lot of religious people do. They try to add things to it. So there's several things that this conversation on the cross actually lays out so that all of a sudden it keeps the message simple. Because mm-hmm. the message of the gospel was simple. All right, I'll, I'll give you just 30 seconds before we head to this break to kind of lay the groundwork for some of the things it teaches us. So just bullet point it, and then we'll come back. Um, the thief on the cross and the conversation he has with Jesus teaches us that um, salvation is a gift— uh, it teaches us that we can't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. Um, it teaches us that at the moment of salvation, it is immediate. Eternal life begins at that moment. Remember, the Jesus says, today 
He doesn't say maybe if you're if you're good in the future. Don't, don't explain it. Just keep uh, going through your bullet point um, list. He, he says that today you will be with me uh, in paradise, and it and it kind of debunks this myth that um, that that there has to be a certain rote uh, prayer, so to speak. I mean, uh, the thief says, "Remember me." That, that's all he says. Remember me, because that's all he knows how to say at that moment. And it was a condition of his heart. And, and you'll remember the conversation. Uh, he, the one criminal's having an argument with the other criminal. He says, "Don't you fear God, even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong." Then he says to Jesus, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And Jesus said, "Hey, I assure you, today." You will be with me in paradise. Scott, there's so much in this passage. Obviously, Jesus has an ability that we don't have. He listened extraordinarily well to his Heavenly Father. And his Heavenly Father was saying, hey, this guy's heart, it's repentant. Mm-hmm. And so it opens up that, that door. But in this, these two sentences, it describes and debunks a lot of religious garbage that's been added to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about when Jeff preached this sermon. He just like he just made some things clear. And 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 here's here's the deal. People listen, I'm not a theologian. Don't anybody call and argue with me about theology. You'll win. I don't I'm my brother's a theologian, not me. I just like the simplicity of the gospel because listen, there's all kinds of people out there that are hurting that have no hope. They just need to know about Jesus, and they don't need to have all the baggage that you're carrying around from your religious background added to them. They just need to know they've got sin. Jesus died for their sin. He rose from the dead to show that he could defeat sin, and if they put their trust in him, he becomes their Lord and Savior and helps them start living eternally today. Mm-hmm. That's that's the simplicity of the gospel message. So, Scott, as we dig through some of this stuff, you mentioned some things the, the the bullet points of what was so powerful about this conversation. So let's start with number one. Well, one of the reasons why uh, this sermon was chosen um, uh, around the Christmas time of the year and around the Easter time of the year, you, you end up having a lot of people that, that are, their, their hearts are softened and they're going to uh, come back to church or come to church for the first time. Um, our pastor, uh, Jeff Parrish, he says something that, um, that I think is worth repeating. He says that, uh, he says, I'm convinced that the Jesus that most people reject is not the Jesus of the New Testament. Amen. Um, it's the Jesus, the man-made version um, that they've heard from other people. And so um, what we learn in this in this uh, exchange between the thief and and Jesus is, is exactly, as you said, the simplicity of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the, um, the accepting of that, that it is not contingent upon um, anything that we can do um, to add to it. One of my favorite texts um, is uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is for by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is what the thief had. He had faith mm-hmm. that, that this Jesus was who he said he was. I think what, what we don't see in this exchange is that I'm sure these two thieves, they'd been around enough to to have probably from a distance seen the ministry of Jesus, to know something about Jesus. I mean, we we read the rest of the New Testament. There's a um, there's a um, there are quite a large crowds following Jesus, so these guys probably weren't unaware. Um, and so, what the 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 good thief, as you called him, what he had witnessed, um, um, he had put his faith in that. So it is for by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. Uh, it is a gift of God. Love that word gift. Um, you don't pay for a gift. Um, it is a gift of God, not of works. And this is the part that debunks it. This thief had no opportunity 
to do any good works. All right, all right. So let's just slow it down. So, and, and, because I want to talk, about, I want people to understand why I'm focusing on, on this on sure. a marketplace ministry yeah. show. Because we're surrounded by people every day in the workplace that are like this criminal. Yeah. They're they they are truly lost. And 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 he more than likely these two guys that get crucified on either side of Jesus were no, notorious criminals because mm-hmm. the Romans like to make examples sure. of the people yep. and they, and it would help for them to be notorious kind of criminals. So this guy's hanging on the cross, never been to Bible school, mm-hmm. probably never been to Sunday school, sure, probably never had communion or Passover, uh, probably never. Uh, well, he, he never went to confirmation. Sure, he. He put his, I mean, he literally had a conversation that was just a humbleness of heart. Yeah. And he says, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus goes, dude, you're going to be there with me today. Yeah. That would yeah. be the the new version as it come out yet, the sure. dude version. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's something the like Jim that. The Jim version. No, no, I'm never going to do a translation because yeah. I, I messed too much of it up. Yeah. I'm, it'd be a paraphrase if I did yeah. it. So, but the significance of it is, okay, this guy... He's about ready to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the uh, when you look at the parable of the vineyard. This is the guys that went. They, they got they got recruited at five thirty in the afternoon to come work in the vineyard. Yeah, this guy was recruited at five fifty nine fifty to come work in the vineyard, and yet still gets the same reward mm-hmm. of eternal life in the kingdom. Okay, so what kind of religious things does this debunk? Let's just go through those because it's really important. That we identify what they are, but then also to talk about why we celebrate them. Yeah, the and and let me piggyback off something you just said. That, uh, I really appreciate your heart for workplace ministry because um, as we have conversations with people about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ, um, um, th- there's no preemptive. Well, in order for you to be eligible to receive this, you must have done these things. Um, Jesus didn't say to the thief on the cross. Um, hey, love your heart. So glad you believe that I'm the Messiah. If we could just get you down off this cross, this is one thing our pastor shared. If, if you could just get down off this cross and uh, and do some cool stuff for some me, good stuff. some good stuff, if you could have just, man, if we could just get you down and um, if John the Baptist was around and get you baptized, uh, then, then it might be okay. Man, if we could just get you confirmed or or any of those things. Um, Dude, you should at least go to church on one Sunday. Yeah, he didn't, say, like, no. he didn't say any of that. And so what that means is, who, to me, and I think all your listeners, is, is in reality, um, I should be having this conversation with everybody. Well, but, but it, it goes to the fact that, you know, most of the religious people, maybe even some of the followers of Christ— at they're sitting at the base of the cross, they're going, Jesus, what are you doing? You're having a conversation with a common criminal next to you. Mm-hmm. Many of us Christ followers, including myself, are extremely judgmental. And the reason, and I've said this many times on the show, the reason we lost the culture battle in the United States of America is yeah. we expect non-Christ followers to act like Christ followers yeah. in order to... To be part of our society. Yeah, yeah, we forget that lost people act like lost people. Yes. Yeah. What? What's, why? Yeah. What, why are we just? Yeah. I think the I think one of the challenges uh, in in the church world is that for for generations um, we were very gospel centered up until the point of conversion, um, and then maybe subconsciously or non verbally we switched gears and made uh, made our relationship with Christ more about behavior modification, and we forgot necessarily the gospel, uh, and so what ends up happening is is 
Um, if I think that daddy is proud of me by getting everything right and not doing the wrong things, then the moment I do something wrong, I don't run to daddy. I run away from him. Um, and so if we can stay gospel-centered, which, remember, uh, it, it reminds us of who we are, reminds us of who Jesus is. I mean, the fact that he would, for our sake, be hung between two criminals, um, I mean, it speaks volumes to the love that we're to uh, evidence to those around us. Well, w- again, people struggle with the ranking of sin. Sure. Because they think, well, I've never killed anybody. Yeah. Or I've never raped anybody. Or yeah. I've, you know, and I've never done blah, blah, whatever that I've never done. Yeah. God doesn't care. Yeah. Because it says in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned all have and sinned. fallen short of the glory of the God. Yeah. We're, we're all in the same boat, yeah. yet religious people like to rank stuff. And again, yeah. Jesus lays it all right out here. Okay, sure. l- l- just very clearly. Okay, this guy more than likely was a murderer, a rapist, you know, a, a career felon of some sort. Mm-hmm. And and he gets a ticket to heaven based on what Jesus is about ready to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was respectful to Jesus. He was remorseful and repentant. Yeah. I mean, he was all of those things. And, you know, Paul, the apostle, was a murderer. He was, I mean, he was a religious murderer, of course, and that somehow makes it better. But he wrote half the New Testament. Yeah, calls himself the chief among sinners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so why is it that we struggle with that so much? And so as Christ followers in a workplace, we need to step back and go, listen, it doesn't matter what your co-worker has as a sin life, your sins are ranked the same way. Yeah. And God doesn't, but God says, but I died for both of you. So stop judging your non-Christ following friend. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the difficulties for us is, yeah, indeed Christ died for both of these men. Um, the challenge is, is that, uh, and the thing I think sometimes we struggle with is that, uh, why is it that, and our pastor asks this question often, why is it that the one thief on the one side was rejecting the message and the other thief on the other side was receiving the message? I, I love Paul's um, monologue in First Corinthians chapter three, um, when when he's really rebuking the the Corinthians for for their jealousy and their strife and these different things, and and he says, um, I mean, who am I? Paul says, and who is Apollos? We're, um, we're we're just workers among you. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God that was bringing the growth. And so for your listeners, those in the workplace, I mean, our responsibility is to plant and water, and we we have uh, absolutely zero idea. Um, which one of um, our coworkers are going to respond to the gospel. Maybe both of them will, maybe all of them will, maybe none of them will, but that's um, our responsibility is simply to plant and water and and trust that God's going to bring the growth. But it's so important. I'm going to add that, we, yes, it is our job to plant and water. We are not the Holy Spirit. We will never be the Holy Spirit. Sure. You don't have the ability to convict people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But it is important that we don't muddy the message of the oh, gospel, yeah, which is which is by telling people, listen, well, you got to take communion in order to get to heaven. You, ne- you got to go to church on a regular basis to get to heaven. You need to be involved in Bible studies to get to heaven. You need to get baptized in order to get to heaven. You need to do good things, and they got to outweigh your bad things in order to get to heaven. And Jesus clears all that up in this conversation. That thief on the cross, whatever he was, we, or no, is a thief or a criminal. Either depends on which translation. You're the guy that probably knows Greek, so I don't know. But it, it doesn't matter. The guy on the cross next to Jesus had not been able to do any of those things. Sure. He just put his trust in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Just that, that's all he had uh, the opportunity to do was to um, exercise his faith um, in Christ. And, and based upon that exercising of faith, 
Uh, today you'll be with me in paradise is what Jesus tells him. And that deals with another thing, because a lot of people go, okay, well, if I die, well, I'm going to go, maybe there's this in-between place that we'll go, and maybe we'll be eternally sleeping until God then, you know, comes and, t- I mean, there's all the kind of theories, well, what happens after you die? Where are we going to really go? We've heard about the bright lights. Some people talk about bright lights. Jesus clears it right up here. Hey, we're going to be together later on, buddy. We're having a party here yeah. just after noon. And it also talks about that eliminates, hey, Jesus went to hell first before he went to heaven. He says, right, hey, we're going to be in paradise today. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is many people get their doctrine and theology from uh, from a television program, a Discovery Channel, the History Channel, these, um, these different uh, areas that have different agendas. And yet, um, I think, again, uh, let's go back to the text of Scripture to... Um, to glean from what is it that the Lord is saying, and yeah, that word is uh, you know what you know what the word today means in the Greek, today it right. means today. Wow. So it's pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and and a lot of and, and understand anybody out there listening, we all and you speak English and you read an English Bible. That is not the original translation. Mm-hmm. If you think your translation better than somebody else's translation, they're all translations. If you want to know what it was really said. Learn Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, and then you got her down. So, and then get a Jewish scholar as a friend. That's how you can solve some of those confusions. And, and, and Scott, as as we close out the show, I mean, this is powerful because so many of us Christians, and I'm one of them, I, I struggle with two major things in my life: being insensitive and being judgmental. Not all Christians are insensitive, but a lot of us are judgmental because we expect. Other, we just look. Ah, why we do it? We look down on other people. Jesus demonstrated the absolute epitome of following him in this conversation. Yes. Because he engaged somebody who was rejected by society because of his behavior. Yeah, I think uh, if we learn anything from this exchange, we learn that um, um, that although this criminal probably did not have a great reputation, uh, he probably was not liked by um, relatively anybody, that did not stop Jesus from intentionally engaging him uh, in conversation. And so the takeaway for me is no matter um, who I come across in, in everyday life, no matter who I, I work on an assembly line next to, um, uh, the responsibility that I have as a Christian, because remember, the Bible makes it pretty clear that God is doing everything in my life to make me more like Christ. Um, and if I'm going to be more like Christ, then I read the New Testament and find out, well, how was Jesus? How did he relate to people? Um, he intentionally engaged those in culture, those in his community that um, um, that the rest of society had had pushed off to the side. So as I learn, as I look at that and I learn that, um, um, I, I'm pursuing those kind of conversations. I, there's so much more we could say, yeah. but we've come to the end of yeah. another I Work Frame show. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, if you just tuned in right now and you missed the conversation, really just trying to keep it simple. As we present the gospel, as we recognize our workplace as our mission field and recognize the fact that in that mission field, you and me may be the only Jesus people get to meet. This is important that we understand the simplicity of the gospel and how we present it, to understand the power in this two-sentence conversation between Jesus and this criminal. You and me have conversations, have opportunities for conversations like this every day. Are you looking the other way? Or are you trying to engage people who are truly lost, who are just like you before you met Jesus? So what did you learn today? What did you learn and how we're going to take this city?
You know, our faith is impacted every day by the work that Christ is doing in our own lives. And as Scott and I talk today about the conversation between Jesus and one of the criminals on the cross, to recognize the simplicity of the message. This guy, this criminal, he didn't have any opportunity to go to church ever. We don't even know if he ever read the Bible. He certainly didn't get a chance to go to a Bible study. He never had a chance to be baptized. He never had a chance to take communion. Never had a chance to go to confirmation. But he did have an opportunity to be repentant. And he put his trust in the Savior who is dying on the cross right next to him. You and me, we need to recognize that there's a battle out there, an epic battle out there for the souls of our coworkers and employees. And this is how we fight the battle. We present the truth of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did for you and for our coworkers and employees. Keep it simple, people. The salvation, me- salvation message is powerful. You've been listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. (laughs) 